0: Bonjour and wa alaikum. Welcome to Stand Up From The Crowd, the first live podcast dedicated to no BS leadership. So if you like us, if you like the stories that we share on this podcast, tell your friends, your colleagues to go over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and to give us a five-star review because I do believe we are worth it. Don't you think so? I hope you do. (laughs) What's your next chapter in life? That's a question that you may have been wondering for quite a few times now. Or maybe you are clear about what your next chapter should be, but you don't know how to make that smooth transition. That can be, you know, a bold move to take, and that can be scary. Stay around because today's episode is going to be very inspiring we will dive deep into the remarkable next chapter of our standout guest, Stefania Verali. After seven years as the owner and co-CEO of Women of Influence, one of the biggest if not the biggest, women's leadership organization across Canada, at least. Stefania decided to transition onto her next chapter, focusing her time on fiction writing and sharing her passion for using storytelling to drive action and change. Get ready to be inspired and moved as we explore the ups and downs, the good, the bad, and the ugly, everything in between. So please help me welcome Stefania to the Stand Up From The Crowd podcast. Hello. Hello.
1: I'm so happy to be here. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. I've been in a very good mood for a very, for a very long time. Transition is suiting me well.
0: <laughs> oh, and that's what we want to talk about today. We want to know all about it. Mm-hmm. So the, the first question, uh, Stefania, that I like to ask my guest is, um, if I were to ask your loved ones to describe you using three words, what would those three words be?
1: Creative. Yes. Hardworking. And I'll say daring. Ooh, tell us more about that one. Well, I think I've uh, always been someone who has approached life with a jump off the cliff, grow wings kind of mentality. When I first uh, purchased Women of Influence, I did not know a lot about the DEI space. I had not run a company of that size before, but I had a belief in my ability to learn and figure it out and a strong desire to, to make some change. I, I saw a way where I could help it do more and and I just needed to, to jump in and do those things. And I've done that with my career several times. I left a successful advertising career to jump in to be employee number one at a startup uh, that was eventually sold to Rogers. I lived as a freelance writer, trying to figure out what's the remotest office I could come up with and would just move to move to different countries around the world and and write. And I did that for six years. And then women of influence, I had actually only been working there as a freelancer uh, for a short period of time. Uh, I did a three month contract, and then a six month remote contract. And then one month into full time employment, the owner at the time said, Do you want the company? And I said, Yes, no hesitation in that meeting right away. wow! I had already seen what I could do with the business. I knew where it had, where it could get better. And I wanted the chance to try.
0: So let me ask you this, because it sounds like you have been a successful entrepreneur for a long time. So, you know, you said, I, I am daring. So was, was it, so, is this quality something that you have developed and grown over time or were you like this since a very young age?
1: I think it's been a part of me since a very young age. I also was raised by two parents who were both entrepreneurs, uh, both Italian immigrants. I think that uh, first generation And entrepreneurial, all of that kind of came together just to be sort of core to to forming who I am with my personality. And I just, I really, I've always just loved adventure and excitement. I read a lot of adventure novels when I was growing up. I kind of had this, wanted to always get the most out of life. So, you know, the worst case scenario I always thought was, you know, you fail and you try again. I mean, I also will say I definitely had the privilege to have the, you know, opportunity where I knew that, you know, if I failed I could figure it out. Um, I was single for most of that time until Women of Influence, so I didn't have to worry about having, you know, a family or a partner that I also had to think about and consider. So I just, I took some risks, and I, I was lucky, or I mean, I like to think I was a part of the success, but I they they paid off. Yeah, and there
0: is a big mindset piece here that 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 I see in you. Like you were aware from a very young age that no matter what you tried, if you fail, you will have an opportunity to learn something out of it. And I believe this is what most people are lacking. And it is what is holding back most people is that fear that what if I fail? Yes, but ultimately you will fail. If you don't fail, it means that it means that you don't try. And if you don't try, you don't progress. And if you don't progress, you don't learn, right? Exactly. That, that's exactly. how I, I yeah. like to, to, to look at it. So I, I'm glad that you are sharing this with us. So you said that you were raised in a, in a family of entrepreneurs. So let's take a look at your early influences. Can you share a story from your childhood or maybe early life that had a significant impact on your decision, so to become a, a leader, an entrepreneur?
1: I think one of the things that probably most shaped me, I mean, as I said, both my parents were entrepreneurs, I think, um, and, and were very supportive and loving. My mother being an entrepreneur, I didn't realize until I got into Women of Influence and started understanding more about the challenges that women have in their professional career, how much it meant to my early life just seeing my mother follow her dream, build a business, raise two kids while doing it and and having that as my normal like I never got into you know even when I was working corporate I, I never went into it with this mentality that a woman can't do it because I had seen my mother, do something. Yeah. And, and, I mean, that's not really one specific story. But I mean, there's moments when I can remember, you know, she definitely had nights where she worked late, you know, she definitely had challenges that I would see her overcome. But she had a dream that I understood she had that dream, and she made it happen. And she built it from scratch. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I just thought that's what you did. (laughs) You You have a dream and you go after it and you make it happen. You do whatever you have to do to make it happen. So having that as my model as a child, I don't think I would have taken the risk that I did or believe that I could take the risk that I did, whether it was, you know, leaving advertising to work for free for equity in sweet spot, or leaving sweet spot to chase my dream of writing a novel while being a freelance writer or jumping into women of influence and taking over that company. All of those things, the belief that I could do it, I think stem from watching my mother do it first. And seeing that as a model for life that I could follow
0: I love that story because for you that was just normal yeah, you know? was, yeah it wasn't even the case oh you know she she's doing this she's fighting against this or she's limited no you saw your mom going after what she wanted and you were like, like oh but that's the way to do it I love yeah. that <laughs> yes
1: absolutely
0: did you have did you have any other role models or maybe mentors outside of your parents, or they were like your main role models?
1: I think my parents, certainly from a younger age, were my main role models. As I got older, sort of into my 20s, there's been one woman, Joanna Track, well, shout out if if she's watching, who was the woman that actually originally started Sweet Spot, which is the first sort of entrepreneurial venture I became involved in. So for that, I worked for free for six months to earn equity in the business. And we grew it from a small email list in Toronto to you know, uh, this email newsletter to Canada's one of Canada's number one lifestyle sites for women, and eventually were bought out by Rogers. Joanna certainly saw in me something, uh, believed in my abilities, let me kind of, I mean, I'm not a typical boss, and she let me be me and run the editorial team. And she was just fantastic at helping to foster my career. And continuing from that on, she was the one who sort of pushed me say, well, you should go and write your novel that you've been talking about that you want to write. And she was the one that actually connected me to women of influence with that freelancing role. So having someone in your life who is willing to advocate for you beyond, I mean, a lot of people talk about their sort of personal board of directors Uh, she's definitely been on that, that board of directors for most of my life. And uh, I keep those friendships close, the ones who can really sort of help you to be, be all that you can be. Mm, I like that. And, and we have talked about
0: it a couple of times on this podcast, you know, building your personal board of directors, you know, who Mm -hmm. are the people you surround yourself with? There is this this saying that sounds cliche, but that is very true. The people you surround yourself can make you or break you. And the people you surround yourself when you are selective and being selective and smart doesn't mean, you know, being inauthentic. You can be very genuine and authentic and build Mm -hmm. real uh, friendship but with people, you know, where, you know, you can support one another's success. You know, that's how, that's how I see it. And you are not the first one. And I'm glad that you are sharing this as well, because it says and it shows by A plus B that the people you surround yourself with are key to your success and personal and professional growth.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So you have spent uh, seven years. Uh, building and growing uh, Women of Influence from 40,000 followers to nearly 800,000 followers before it was acquired uh, last year. So... I see. Uh, I have seen. We have seen in the past few years, especially with all the turmoil that we have been through, <laughs> yeah. like you know, a lot of uh, female leaders and, and and top CEOs, you know, resigning from their corporate role in order to follow to pursue their passion and i know there are a lot of more a lot more people who would like to make that transition but who are scared to make the jump because once you have reached a certain level you have gained a certain status you have uh, you know this recognition within your industry and mm-hmm. it can be very scary to give up on all of this to pursue something? Will people judge you? What will your network think about you? Will your family think that you are crazy? (laughs) You know, uh, (laughs) what's happening? So um, can you tell us a little bit more about your process? First of all, what inspired you to make
1: that decision? So the main reason why I decided I was ready to leave Women of Influence, I I told you at the beginning, when I decided to purchase Women of Influence, I was driven by this desire to sort of add what I thought would be a way to make the company better. What I saw was missing because they had an amazing events team and these incredible events where people would get into the room and it was inspirational and magical. But if you weren't in that room, you were missing out. And my whole career has been in digital media and storytelling. And I saw a gap to be able to connect more women, tell more stories by growing the digital media side of the business. And I went in there with that very specific goal. Now clearly a lot sort of, there was a lot that happened outside of just that in the seven years, but that was my main goal going into Women of Influence was I wanted to build the media arm that wasn't really there. And it took a lot of time, I mean, it took seven years, Uh, COVID certainly, you know, through some some loops in that process but when I reached the point where I saw that we had done it where the community had grown this to this incredible size where I'd had the opportunity to meet and tell and share so many stories of so many incredible inspiring women I kind of got this feeling like I had done what I came to do And I knew that in the same way that I sort of came in and brought what was my skill set and my abilities and my passions to women of influence, I knew there was someone else who needed to come in to do the next level of it, to make it better. I had reached what I had done, what I could do. And I the organization, I mean, it's been around for almost 30 years. It's, mm-hmm. it's we're the third round of leaders, it needed to carry on It needed to grow. And when we met the current owner, Dr. Rumit Billin and started talking with her, I just knew she was the person to come in and sort of take this foundation and then create the next level of it. And being able to feel like, I've done what I want to do. I've done what I'm capable of doing. It's yeah. time for someone else to take the reins. It wasn't a difficult decision for me, to be honest. I just right. I felt so sure that I, I'd accomplished my goal and now someone else who I'd found was ready for the next one. And, and then it just sort of came down to like, you know, cross the T's, dot the I's and, and, and start the next chapter. <laughs> so it sounds
0: like every time you enter <sighs> something, you have a clear goal of what you want to achieve, but you also have an exit strategy in mind. Is that correct? Yeah,
1: I think the exit strategy more kind of revealed itself as we went along. I mean, certainly meeting the current owner helped to shape that. And I think that, you know, I never go in, I'm not the kind of person that makes a five-year plan. Like, I always tell people, like, write your life plan on a napkin because you're going to have to throw it away and start again. No one gets through longer than a few years without life throwing you a curveball, so don't don't even try. Have a direction you want to go, and I always have a direction I want to go, but I didn't have all of the steps figured out. I went in knowing what I wanted to accomplish, not entirely sure how I would get there. And then when I did get there, it was, okay, the next step of how do we find the next person who's going to come in and make this better and, and, and what will they do? And, uh, you know, some of it, as I said, you just you, you, it's fate, you meet the right person, it works out and then, and then you carry on. Uh, there is a part
0: of luck too right? I would say it's it's important. There is a lot of work and preparation and strategy, but luck somehow is also a a little bit part of it. So what are some of the the biggest trade-offs you have to make? Because you are still in this transition, so what are some of the biggest trade-offs that you feel you have to make uh, during this transition and how um, do you navigate them? Well,
1: I've I've been finding this transition and it's it's only really started this year. Like we finished off a lot of the work that we were doing at Women of Influence at the end of December, but there was still things that had to get, you know, so there's the last bits of accounting, all that stuff. So it wasn't really until the start of this year that I really started uh, focusing a lot on what my transition would look like. And I have to say, and I think I, I've mentioned uh, to you before, we were pre-chatting. I really have intentionally set myself a slow pace. I mean, I've been kind of behind the race car, white knuckled, going around the track as many times as possible for, I mean, running a company the size of One of Influence, having employees, making it through the pandemic. I mean, that was, it was a lot of work, a lot of time. And I wanted to make sure that this transition was slow. That is not my personality. So the hardest part has probably been forcing myself not to try and go do everything at once, Mm. which I did actually start out doing. I was like, I'm going to solve every single one of my life problems in these first two weeks. And then I realized that I was in control of the pace of my life. And rarely do you actually have all of that control of the pace of your life. So when you're given the gift, slow down, take your time think about what you want to do. And, and I've, I've been able to come through the other side, I'm now at the point of my transition where I can see really clearly what I want to do. And I've actually already started working with some people on little quietly on the side freelancing the work that I want to do, which is really designed around what is the thing that brings me the most joy? What am I best at? What is my sort of sphere of excellence? And how can I help more women and other experts to get their stories across because that's what I, that's what I can do well. And I, I want to focus on that.
0: And there is a, a continuity here, right? So in everything that you have done so far, you were impacting people, right? And so now in your next chapter, you are still impacting people and women through your skills. So what would be the the if you had to give one advice to you know the CEOs leaders people who have built a successful career but you know they feel this calling that it is time to make that transition but they are still you know holding onto that that career that they have built for themselves what would it be?
1: So I think that it's a very individual journey to make a transition from corporate or, you know, running a larger corporation and moving into a, you know, maybe you're a solo expert or consulting or something like that. Anyone who is on the fence and sitting around trying to decide if they should, I think the things that everyone should ask themselves is, why am I not doing it? Because if the answer is ego, you don't want to let go of your big title. Um, that's not that's not something that should come into the equation. If the answer is fear, I mean, for some people, legitimately, maybe they are the you know sole breadwinner and they have to worry about their next paycheck. And it's not the right time to take. It. Maybe they have a mortgage and it's not the right time to take a big risk. The answer isn't always jump. I mean, my answer is always jump, but the answer isn't always jump. And I think asking yourself sort of the why, like, is it fear because you don't think you're good enough? Or is it fear because you're worried about the paycheck? If it's because you don't think you're good enough. So many women, so many women, and I've met hundreds over that, don't realize how incredible they are. And I think having confidence in your abilities I mean, that's step one to, to to moving forward. And I think if everybody takes the time to kind of have an introspective moment, you know what you're good at and you know what you're not good at. And if your career right now is having you do the things that you like can do okay, but isn't what you're really good at, then you're probably not in the right career. And then I would Ooh. say it's time to take the jump.
0: Ooh, that, that that's powerful. So, you know, there is this fear... Um, This lack of uh, not this lack of competence, but this lack of confidence, that might you know be that may have an impact on the decision we make. But there is also, especially when it comes to women, that concern about balance. Maybe you know the. They, they are at a stage where they have finally find that balance, no matter what that balance is to you of course. yeah and, and, and you know, but on the other side, they want to pursue their passion. And we know how hard it can be to find that balance. It takes a lot of time. So my question to you is, how do you balance your personal and professional priorities during this transition? And what strategies have you found to be most effective?
1: So I think for me... You know, that balance is something where I had to, and I have still, I mean, I'm still kind of figuring it out. I keep telling people I'm on that point where you're flying on the trapeze, I've let go of one bar, I'm hanging on to the other one, but I've still only got the one arm on. So that's where I'm at in my transition. And I haven't necessarily figured out what my routine is going to be to, to make it all work. I'm trying to still balance a few different priorities. Uh, family, freelance work, I'm working out on my novel again. And all of these pieces, I have to figure out how they'll fit together. Uh, What I said before about whatever you can slow down in your pace, do don't nothing that isn't actually a priority needs to be made a priority. Mm. And then the, the other thing I think is, I am very, very forgiving of myself. If I don't I mean, I'm looking at a pile of laundry <laughs> off screen. And I just know that that pile of laundry isn't as important as getting another chapter of my book done. And I, there's, you know, certain things that I'd love to be able to sort of squeeze into the day. But I know what my priorities are to get done what I want to get done. And so I fiercely prioritize everything and I'm very apologetic to my, I mean, if I, if something gets, if a ball gets dropped, it's fine, Stefania, you'll figure it out later. And I think that women especially are not great at doing that are not Mm -hmm. great at saying, Oh, it's okay. I haven't, I haven't figured it out, you know, but I'll just find, you know, five more hours in the day and not sleep. And I think, I mean, I go to bed at 10 o'clock and I wake up early and that routine works for me and figuring out what works for you without worrying so much about all the little pieces that you think you have to get done, you have to get done. You you will suddenly find that you can kind of slow your pace down. I mean, you might not be living in the cleanest house, but you will, you know, figure out what the actual priorities are.
0: Yeah, be kind to yourself. I think, and I've been... through this kind of situation. And I feel the more pressure you put on yourself, the less effective you are because you don't give your brain enough space and you don't give yourself enough space to think about your next move or your next chapter. So when you become, you learn to become kind and uh, to yourself, you know, actually it opens up more room for you to think through and to think clearly yeah absolutely and and we have a great question here from uh umesh who asks you know what is the solution for loneliness or you know when you transition that can be uh, a time where you feel uh, lonely so you know know, how do you address that
1: yeah, it's interesting. I think that there's I mean, that also comes down to personality. I think that, I mean, when I was a freelance writer, I would, as I said, I would go and I would move to a country where I knew nobody. And there would be times when I wouldn't speak to another human being for days because I was just stuck in that I was living in a small apartment in the middle of Spain somewhere. And so, for me, I don't really have the issue of loneliness. i'm I, I like spending time with me. But I know there are some people. Who need to feel that connection, and I don't think you should ignore that. If that's what feeds your soul, then you need to find other ways to make that connection. I've, uh, I haven't done it, but I have other friends who have found a really great solution, especially when they're kind of starting out. You know, go find a co-working space. Go mm. find. I mean, even having a regular coffee shop you go and sit in, but co-working spaces. I mean, they 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 don't make you keep buying coffee; they just give it to you for free. Uh, Having a spot where you do have interactions, um, even finding connections online. I mean, it really depends. It's very individual on what are the things that feed your soul and what do you need to feel a connection? But I think that especially when you are getting into a position where you're self-employed or where you're freelancing, those early days can feel like you are just in the company of one. And if that's something that affects you, then I would say don't ignore it, go find a community and there are so I mean, women of influence was a great place where you could find like minded connections and feel like, you know, your tribe has gotten bigger. And I think that there's lots of different communities for all different things that can serve your purposes. And, you know, don't sit in the loneliness, don't let it be a block for you, go find your community.
0: Exactly. Build your own community or find the people, you know, that I can connect with. And I know we are opposing, you know, oftentimes in-person relationship versus online relationship, but it's true since the COVID, my perception on this one has changed because some of the people that I feel the closest to now are people that I have met through LinkedIn and that I have never met in person, actually not yet after maybe two, three, four years, you know, three years of talking, but when I need support, when I have questions, when I need, you know, uh, to be uh, reminded how good I am, you know, because we do need, <laughs> the, we have those moments, right? I reach yeah. out to those people, and I did, I do find this support, right? So being online or offline, no matter what works best for you, there are like so many opportunities for you to not feel alone uh, anymore. Especially there, are, because there are a lot of people feeling alone too so imagine you know the number of people that you could reach out to and build genuine as we said at the beginning genuine relationship that can become then friendship yeah and i think
1: people sometimes forget they think that you know they're the only one yeah every all people desire connection and most people are quite kind if you just sort of give them open that door a little bit. I have found so many amazing connections throughout my life. And I am i mean, I'm more when I meet new people, I can have anxiety about it, but I just kind of push myself to open the door. And then it is amazing how wonderful and kind and friendly and fun and amazing people can be. And I have met more of those people than the ones who have kind of shut me down. So take a chance and just like, all you need is the courage to say the first line and then you can connect. (laughs) Exactly. Don't overthink about it. It can
0: be quite simple. And actually it is that simple. (laughs) Yeah, it is that simple for sure. So Stefania, what can I wish you for the future?
1: (laughs) I mean, I, as I said, I'm building my future right now. I mean, I think since when you first reached out to talk to me, I was sort of in the I have absolutely no idea what I'm going to be doing. I have now sort of figured out what I'm going to be doing. I'm in the process of actually making that happen and building the website and building my workshop and my course and all these things, all the ideas that have come together. So uh, I suppose I would love some, uh, some energy to get through all of that, but with the balance of still moving slowly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, at your own pace has at my own you have told us. Yeah. So thank you so much, Stefania, for this great inspiring conversation. I told you, people, I told you, get ready to be inspired and moved. And I love to have those raw conversations where we are like, listen, it's not all beautiful, Mm-mm. it's not all shiny and bubbly, but listen, we can still make it happen, right? And that's the message that I want to share with you on the podcast no matter what happens and what you are going through you already what it you already have what it takes to make it happen and to become the leader you are meant to be so thank you so much Stefania once again and uh, for you. all of you watching us and listening to us i will see you next week for another live episode of stand up from the crowd thank you everyone you take care Thank and you bye. Bye. bye
1: okay we are off